Hi, campers. Welcome to Museum Camp. I'm Megan. I'm Madison. Thank you for joining us for another rendition of Immature History. Yeah. Uh, Who's first? I could not tell you. I think it's probably you. Okay, I'll go. Mine is very immature because... (laughs) Love it. I'm going to read to all of you the history of toilet paper. Amazing. I can't wait. Okay, great. Here we go. <laughs> Do we need the definition of toilet paper? Should I read that yeah, if part you don't of mind. the Wikipedia yeah. page? Okay. Just in case anyone doesn't know. Yeah. What if people well, don't use it? That's right. Toilet paper is a tissue paper product primarily used to clean the anus great. and surrounding anal region. I hate hmm. that this is all on Wikipedia. <laughs> The anus and surrounding anal regions does not need to be a sentence anyone needs to utter. You can just say anus. You can just say butt. Yeah, we you all can just know. Say <laughs> um, so the surrounding anal region of feces after defecation and to clean the perennial area and external genitalia of urine after urination or other bodily fluid releases. Yikes. <laughs> It also acts as a layer of protection for the hands during these processes. It is usually supplied as a long strip of perforated paper wrapped around a paperboard core for the storage in a dispenser near a toilet. The bundle is known as a toilet roll or loo roll or bog roll in Britain. Ooh, fancy. Love a bog. so spooky um okay so let's get to the history um although paper had been known as a wrapping and padding material in china since the second century bc a reference to use the toilet paper dates back as early as circa 589 when the scholar official yan jitu wrote quote paper on which there are quotations or commentaries from the five classics or the names of sages I dare not use for toilet purposes. Wow. There's only five classics, <laughs> only five. Well, back oh. then, I mean, that was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. So 589. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> During the later Tang dynasty, an Arab traveler to China in the year 851 AD remarked quote, the Chinese do not wash themselves with water uh, when they have done their necessities, but they only wipe themselves with paper. During the early 14th century, it was recorded that in what is now Zhejiang alone, 10 million packages of 1,000 to 10,000 sheets of toilet paper were manufactured annually. Wow. Uh, yeah. During the Ming dynasty, which was 1368 to 1644, It was recorded in 1393 that an annual supply of 720,000 sheets of toilet paper were produced for the general use of the imperial court at the capital of Nanjing. From the records of the Imperial Bureau of Supplies of that same year, it was also recorded that for the Hongwu emperor's imperial family alone, there were 15,000 sheets of special soft fabric toilet paper made and each sheet of toilet paper was perfumed. Hmm. I don't like that. I just, I feel like anything that's perfumed, you shouldn't put, you know, near your bunghole. Your bunghole. 
Well, I just feel like it, it seems like a waste of perfume. Sure. You know? Yeah. That's true. Good point. <laughs> um, elsewhere, wealthy people wipe themselves with wool. Lace. Oh, or him. impractical. Lace yeah, has holes lace. in it. It's got a lot of holes. It's that's its whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Do we have a spare doily? <laughs> yeah. God. Uh, <laughs> while less wealthy people use their hand when defecating into rivers or clean themselves with various materials such as rags, wood shavings. Just, I mean, think about the splinters. Uh, leaves, grass, hay, stones, sand, moss, water. That makes sense. Snow, which is an interesting, mm. interesting way to do it. Yeah. Um, ferns, plant husks, fruit skins, seashells. Nope. Uh, which feels that that can feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, or corn cobs. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they were doing with corn cobs down there. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Also, I would just like to say, I think like the first one on that list was they would use their hand when defecating into a river. Why not just stick your butthole into the river and let it do its thing like a a low tech bidet? Why why even involve your hand? Yeah. Let's involve the hands as little as possible. Yeah. Um, so, and that was depending on the country and the weather conditions or social customs in ancient Rome, a sponge on a stick was commonly used and after use placed back in a pail of vinegar. Yep. I, I saw a YouTube video about this. <laughs> sure. Of about, course about, this, about the Roman ancient Roman, uh, bathroom situation. <laughs> Uh, several Talmudic sources indicating ancient Jewish practice refer to the use of small pebbles often carried in a special bag and also to the use of dry grass and of the smooth edges of broken pottery jugs. Well, thank God they're using the smooth edges. Yeah. (laughs) Otherwise it would be crazy. It could be so much worse. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, okay, so the 16th century French satirical writer Francois Rabelais, in chapter 13 of book one of his novel sequence, Gargantua and Pantagruel, has his character Gargantua investigate a great number of ways of cleansing oneself after defecating. Gargantua dismisses the use of paper as ineffective, rhyming that, quote, who his foul tale with paper wipes... <laughs> Shall his bullocks leave some chips? <laughs> that doesn't rhyme. It literally doesn't rhyme. <laughs> it was translated from French. Okay, okay <laughs> we'll, we'll allow it then. Yeah. I said but... bullocks. It's bollocks, obviously. <laughs> it's not spelled bullocks. Oh, it's the translation. Oh, man. Don't worry. I am, yeah. <laughs> I'm used to the French version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So sophisticated. <laughs> oh man. Oh, this next sentence. He concludes that, quote, the neck of a goose that is well downed provides an optimum cleansing medium. <laughs> no, 
I'm going to say that is not optimum. Is the goose alive or dead? That is my number one thing. And I don't know which Always. is worse. <laughs> uh, I'm so disturbed. Yeah. It's a lot to process. Um, the rise of publishing by the 18th century led to the use of newspapers and cheap edition, cheap editions of popular books for cleansing. Lord Chesterfield, in a letter to his son in 1747, told of a man who purchased, quote, a common edition of Horace, of which he tore off gradually a couple pages, carried them with him to that necessary place, read them first, and then sent them down as a sacrifice to Cloacina. Thus was so much time fairly gained. And now I know you're wondering, who's Cloacina? I have right. a guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I had to look it up. Cloacina was a goddess who presided over the, I, I know I'm not going to say it right, but I, I would assume it's the Cloaca, Cloaca Maxima, uh, mm-hmm. which means the greatest drain, the main trunk outlet of the system of sewers in Rome. Wow. Can you imagine all the gods picking out of a hat their domains and that's what you get I'd be so mad and that's a brief history of toilet paper yikes <laughs> it's a big old yikes from me so oh just be thankful you don't have to use uh seashells <laughs> honestly I, I really <laughs> am um what you got okay so there is a Wikipedia article on this, but it was way too long and I didn't feel like trimming. Sure. So I'm going to read uh, the comparable article from history.com. Okay. This is an article originally published in June of 2018 by Aaron Blakemore. Um, and this is the history of wife selling. Oh no. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, it is in fact problematic. <laughs> sure, no shit. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I don't know. Is wife selling or wife buying worse? It's the age-old question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's selling. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> George Ray tied a halter around his wife's waist and headed wife's waist. That is a tongue twister. Um, and headed to the nearest market. He wasn't there to buy anything. He was there to sell his wife. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Don't do this, George. Onlookers shouted as he auctioned her off to the highest bidder, William Harwood. After Harwood turned over a single shilling to Ray He put his arm around his purchase. Harwood walked off arm in arm with his smiling bargain, reported an onlooker, with as much coolness as if he had purchased a new coat or hat. Oh, my God. (laughs) It was 1847, and Ray had just gotten the equivalent of a divorce. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean. Big yikes. (laughs) Where is this Um, taking place, did it say? England. Okay. Sure. Um, sure. <laughs> Thank scenes- God we left that place. Am Thank I right? God. <laughs> yeah. And we have since solved every problem in our society. Yeah. Everything's so fixed. Go. <laughs> fixed. Good to go. Everyone. 
<laughs> done and dusted. <sighs> the scene sounds like an elaborate joke. In reality, it was anything but. Between the 17th and 19th centuries, divorce was prohibitively expensive. So some lower class British people didn't get them. They sold their wives instead. The custom seems outlandish today, but it could be found in public places like markets, taverns, and fairs. Historians disagree on how or when the custom started and how widespread it was, but it seems to have been an accepted alternative divorce among lower lower class Britons. (laughs) Wife sales were crude and funny, but they also served a very real purpose since it was so hard to get a divorce. If your marriage broke up in the 1750s, you had to obtain an act of parliament, essentially an exception to Britain's draconian divorce law to formally divorce. The process was expensive and time consuming, so wife selling arose as a form of faux divorce. It wasn't technically legal, but the way it unfolded in public made it valid in the eyes of many. Mm. People could simply abandon one another. But a woman who entered into relationships with other people were in constant danger of their previous husband swooping in to punish her new lover and get some money in the process. Sure. Legally, her husband could demand that his wife's lover pay him a large amount of money for having sexual relations with his wife, a right she lacked since courts didn't allow wives to sue their husbands for adultery. So classic. 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 Uh, (laughs) Who was making the rules? Yeah. um, Men. (laughs) For no doubt. Um, (laughs) Wife sales were a way to sidestep that risk. Um, oddly enough, the sales took on the form of cattle auctions of the time. Shut up. So rude. After announcing the sale, the man would put a ribbon or a rope around his wife's neck, arm, or waist and lead her to oh. market, either an actual market or other or another public place. Then he'd just auction her off, often after declaring her virtues to the onlookers. Once she was purchased by another man, the previous marriage was considered null and void, and the new buyer was financially responsible for his new wife. Oh, uh, my God. And also, I'm going to say this. This is going to sound problematic, but what kind of selling point is it? <laughs> You're like, I don't want this woman anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. Well, it just seems like when people on Facebook marketplace are like trying to sell their junk for like $500 yeah. <laughs> and they're like, it works just fine. And it's like clearly dilapidated. Yeah. And you're this like, is- then why are you selling it? Yeah. Then why if, are you selling if it? You if it's love so it. great, it, you're raising red flags. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually wife sales were merely symbolic. There was just one bidder, the woman's new lover. Sometimes there wasn't a designated buyer, though, and an actual bidding war broke out. Men could announce a wife's sale without informing their wife, and she might be bid on by total strangers. But women had to agree to the sale. Oh. So. Well, that's something. Yeah, but like, so it says that they had to agree to it, but also these women are literally being sold. So like how much weight did their opinion? Yeah. They carry? literally have a rope around their neck. So yeah. Did so they I have to agree? <laughs> yeah. I don't feel great about it in right. general. 
It would seem that the woman was at a disadvantage during a wife sale, which oh, it yeah. does in fact seem that way. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way because it's just it the is case. in fact that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but according to this article, that wasn't um, always the case. Since she was still married to her first husband under the law, he was technically entitled to all of her possessions. At the time, married women's property all belonged to their husbands. Once again, classic. Classic. The public nature of the sale, though, made it clear to one and all that the seller gave up his right to his former wife's possessions. And the woman also sidestepped the very real threat of having her new lover sued by her first husband for criminal conversation mm-hmm. so women can't get you know they can't sue their husbands for adultery but men can sue other men for criminal conversation obviously that just makes sense criminal conversation yeah like <laughs> yeah i just i cannot gotta but love I, that freedom of speech am i right you really do Long live the queen. Uh, So through the sale, writes legal scholar Julie C. Souk, uh, the first husband extracted a bribe from the wife's lover in return for waiving his civil cause of action for criminal conversation. Public humiliation also played a role. Treating Mm. his cheating or estranged wife like a cow even announcing her weight in public and bartering oh. her like a farm animal, which like how, they couldn't afford to divorce, but they have scales somehow. Oh God. It doesn't make sense. Announcing her weight in public. Yeah. yeah. Announcing her weight in public and bartering her like a farm animal. Oh, I, so men are the worst. Literal, <laughs> literal worst. Um. So apparently doing that seems to have satisfied many bitter husbands. I mean, thank God that they're doing fine. Yeah. Um, but usually wife sales didn't end in enmity. The wife, her new husband, and her old one usually sat down for a pint of beer and a good laugh. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? Why would anyone yeah. do that? Just go home. Yeah, no, thank you. Just drink beer by yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Um, overall writes historian Lawrence stone, the format of the sale was designed to seem legit. All this elaborate, quote, all this elaborate symbolism had a very real purpose, which was to try to make the sale appear as legally binding as possible, especially with respect to any future financial responsibility by the husband for the wife. He writes, some wife sellers even drew up elaborate contracts to make the ritual seem as sales like as possible. Technically, though, wife sales didn't dissolve the underlying marriage and police eventually began breaking up the sales. Stone thinks that the practice was extremely rare and that it attracted more attention than it deserves because of the temptation to spread the word of the strange ritual far and wide and even to make up fictional wife sales to sell newspapers. Yeah, no, if it happens even once, it deserves a shit ton of, yeah, that deserves a lot of attention. It does. I agree. Yeah. In the end, writes historian Roderick Phillips, too little is known about wife sales to enable us to draw firm conclusions. I mean, I have a conclusion or two I could draw. Mm-hmm. Firmly. <clears throat> Firmly. Firmly. <laughs> <laughs> what is clear, though, is that attending, talking about, and inventing wife sales was amusing indeed. 
Even the seller and his wife were usually described as gleeful and happy during the sale. Mm -hmm. So sure. Yeah. Uh, Take Joseph Thompson, who allegedly sold his wife in 1832. He listed his wife's bad qualities, calling her, quote, a born serpent and advising the buyers to, quote, avoid frolicsome women as you would a mad dog, a roaring lion, a loaded pistol, cholera. <laughs> cholera! All of those things. <laughs> One of these is not like the One other. This is not like the other. Um, then he listed her assets, which included the ability to milk cows. Sure. Sing. Ooh. And serve as a drinking companion. Okay. <laughs> Quote, I therefore offer here with all her perfections and imperfections for the sum of 50 shillings, he concluded, adding a fun flourish to the end of his marriage. I looked it up and I have no idea if this map is right, okay. um, but it would appear that 50 shillings in 1832 when the sale happened is less than $500 today. Oh, I knew it was going to be bad. It's I did be not bad. know it was going to be that bad. Yeah. Yeah. Wife sales largely ended in 1857 when divorce became easier. With it died a custom, and tales of the tradition are just as bizarre and entertaining as they were then. Wow. And that is the truly absurd horror of a wife selling. Yeah, I'm all riled up. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to go sell my husband, I think. I know. I would love to have seen wives try to sell their husbands. I think it's like, time to even the score. Yeah. <laughs> Campers, oh. please don't sell um, people. Yeah. Just don't sell humans. If you wouldn't mind, it would mean a lot yes. to us. That would really mean so, so much. Yes. Thank you for joining us on this weird roller coaster of an episode. Mm-hmm. It it was. It really was. Um, yeah. And we will see you next time. Yeah. Have a great bye. Bye. Yeah. Bye. <laughs>